0: Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Greetings. Greetings this day from the one who makes us to lie down in green pastures and restores and refreshes our soul. God is good to his people, is he not? After a busy and sometimes very difficult week, God calls us again into his presence. We are invited to forget all that we have not done, and all that we plan to do. We come here often tired and God gives us rest. Everybody say, God gives us rest. God gives us rest. Often we are faint from weakness, like a man who has come in from the fields of labor. As we open the doors to our little church, we are greeted with the aroma of fellowship, like the sweet smell of baking bread. We hear the conversation and communion among our brothers and sisters like the sizzle of dinner in a pan. Bright eyes and holy kisses greet us and make us forget our toils. The warmth of all of this brings begins to take the cold that has settled into our bodies away. And we know that soon the fires of this holy hearth shall touch us deeply. Amen? And then... We eat. God feeds us. And I'm not talking about the meal afterwards, but I'm talking about food that the world does not know of. We gather together. He prepares a table before us and we eat. We dine on His words, the bread of life. David in Psalm 78 said this. He said, Give ear, O my people. Give ear to my law incline your ears to the words of my mouth and I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us we will not hide them from our children showing to the generation the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done for he established a testimony in Jacob and they appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children, that the generation might come to know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might see their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Everybody say, we want to keep God's commandments. We want to keep God's commandments. And might not, as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set their heart ride and whose spirit was not steadfast with God, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, they turned back when it came their time to fight. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in His law, and they forgot His works and wonders which He showed them. Marvelous things He did in their Sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and in the field of Zoan. For he divided the sea and he caused them to pass through it and he made the waters to stand up in a heap. In the daytime he led them with a cloud and at night he lit a fire. He clayed the rocks in the wilderness and he gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams out of the rock and he caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. For they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat in their lust. Yea, they spoke against God, and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock, waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Did He not also give us bread to eat? Can He provide flesh for His people? Therefore the Lord heard this, and he was wroth, so fire was kindled against Jacob and against the anger against Israel, because they believed not their God, and they trusted not in his salvation, that he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven. He had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food, and he sent meat until they were full. He caused an east wind to blow from heaven, and by his power he brought in the South. He rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls, like as the sea of the sand, sand of the sea, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations, so they did eat, and they were filled, and He gave them their desire. God feeds us every day. we may look for. Uh, the miraculous and the great prayers that we pray but it is a miracle every time we sit down and we eat god prepares us food amen amen let us pray heavenly father we love you we thank you for calling us together we are so honored to be invited into a place where we do not belong i should say we did not belong because i know we do belong here now Lord, we belong because you have invited us, Lord, and the, the feast that you have prepared is for us. And Lord God, as, as we gather around the table with the conversation and uh, fellowship and communion with one another, Lord, we long more than anything, Lord, for you to come, to sit at the head of our table, to surround us by the power of your Spirit, Lord, filling the air around us as we eat today. Lord, I pray that you would change us, Lord God, that you would transport us into heaven, Lord God, as we gather together, Lord, that we might be there with you. Lord, as we are reminded of one day, we will feast together again. All of us who are here today will feast together again at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Please remain standing for just a moment as I read for you my text from John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. My message today is called, Food for 5,000 and Food for Life. John 6, 1 says this, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up to a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here. He has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there were much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and the number was about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, they said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. And therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you longing to hear your voice. Speak to your people today. Lord, as we learn from um, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, may we learn what we can apply to our life today, Lord God. May we be changed by your words that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. You are what you eat. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible, of course, but that's what they say, whoever they are, right? You are what you eat. Uh, We have become a people very, so much uh, concerned and focused on what we eat. We're rich enough uh, as Americans uh, to be able to do that. Most of the world is not. For example, eggs are good, right? But free-range eggs, they're better, right? And uh, free-range eggs that get sunlight, well, that, that might even be even better than that, or, or get to eat bugs, or are fed only on organic food, right? Or not uh, treated with antibiotics, those might even be better. You know, we, we probably have more of a, a doctrine on eggs uh, than we know. Now, we think about carbohydrates and, and starches and sugars, and oh, how bad sugar is, well, well, wait, maybe it's only refined sugar that's bad. Maybe, maybe the raw sugar, you know, is better. Never mind that everything that we eat, our body then turns into sugar. I mean, never mind that. Just let's, let's skip right over that part, you know. Fat, of course, is bad. Well, they, they think it is. Wait a minute. Oh, it's only certain kinds of fat that are bad. Other kinds aren't so bad, Right. You'd be surprised how much knowledge we all have, right or wrong, about food. And I think some of you might be sharper on the subject of food than on your memory verses. Proteins, grains, gluten, uh, MGOs, GMOs, MSGs, and the list goes on and on. Food's important. It's not just important, as you know. It is essential. God has ordained that we uh, not only have to eat, but we have to eat a lot. And we have to eat often, several times a day. We're, we're not like crocodiles or, or pythons who uh, might eat once a month or every two or three months, right? Uh, depending on how big of a meal they get. God has ordained that we need food to live. We need our daily bread. Everybody say daily bread. Daily bread. Jesus instructed us to pray what? Give us this day our Amen. daily bread. Uh, I had a thought as they were reading through manna about portions of food and uh, God had portioned out an omer uh, of manna per man. So we had to measure that up and that ought to be enough to get us through a day. Don't you think, Tim, wouldn't that be good? Because I've been wondering about portions myself lately. And uh, so whatever an omer now. And another thing, too, about manna, which I won't. Well, okay, I'm going to skip over it because I'll start preaching my sermon, my next sermon. So, all right. Now, it may seem odd to you uh, more than it did to them uh, that we have so much food, foods everywhere, mega stores, health food stores, drive throughs, restaurants. Not only do we have food, but we have the resources to buy it and the resources to go get it. If we don't have it right where we have, we could just get, get everything now here in our text. We have a story that is told not just in the synoptics. You know how a lot of the stories are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels tell this very same story. John often contains words and actions that are not included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because he is trying to tell us about things that they didn't already tell us about. It was written last, the book of John. Now... um. For example, in John's account of the story, uh, we will learn things we don't learn in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We will learn that there were roles played by two of the disciples in the story, one of them being Philip and the other one Andrew. Neither of these are mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're just called the disciples. So we didn't know which ones until John came along. And also we didn't learn about this little lad uh, and, and and who had brought the food. John also gives us a more precise location of the event telling us, uh, it was in a place near the sea of Galilee. And he also calls it the sea of Tiberias. Um, and I don't really want to get off on a tangent about this, but, um, I know my son Nathaniel likes geography. How, how, how many of you guys like maps? Yeah. Well, you know, I I was when I was in Myanmar, I've heard all these stories over there and they would name the places. But if you've never been there and you don't know the geography, it's kind of like almost pointless, right? Unless you can just memorize the words. But there's something about knowing the place. Like if I told you a story and I mentioned Mount Sterling and Harrisburg and whatever, the story would make a lot more sense to you if you knew where these places were in relation to the other ones, right? You'd know how long it takes to get there. You'd know... You know how 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 the, how these areas relate, whether they're on mountains or in valleys or by rivers and lakes and whatever. And so, um, I just wanted to I wanted to just for just a moment talk a little bit about this. Jesus called the 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 word of God, I should say, calls this the Sea of Tiberius because the area is near a city called Tiberius. Uh, they didn't call the whole lake the Sea of Tiberias, but right near the city of Tiberius. Now, uh, the Sea of Galilee is not shaped like this, okay? It's more shaped like Sarah's harp, all right? In fact, some people believe that it was, it, that the word in Aramaic or Hebrew is harp-shaped. That's why they named it that. It kind of looks like this, but it has a bump out, kind of a bump out, to where it sort of looks like a harp. It is the lowest lake on planet Earth besides the Dead Sea, It's 700 feet below sea level, which is amazing because it is so close to the Mediterranean. 700 feet below sea level is the Sea of Galilee. And right on the edges of it are these giant mountains. That's why these incredible storms that the Bible tells us about would happen. The Sea of Galilee is uh, about 8 miles across. It is about 13 miles long. And the Jordan River comes in at the north, and it goes out the south. Isn't that kind of cool? You have a lake, and the Jordan River doesn't just flow into the lake, but it flows into the lake and out of the lake, okay? So much of the biblical narrative uh, of the life of Christ centers around this lake. And if they call it the sea here, but it's not a sea. It's a lake. Uh, but that's just what it was called. That's what they called it. Now... Uh, If you look up there where the trim stops, can you see up here where the trim stops? I wish I had me one of these big old pointers and I had a big map. If somebody around here would teach biblical geography to the people of our church, that would be fantastic. So I'm going to teach you a little bit, okay? So right where the trim stops is Capernaum. Everybody say Capernaum. So many things happened in Capernaum that if you're telling a Bible story and you wanted to guess where it happened, you could probably guess it was Capernaum. Ten of the 13 prominent miracles recorded in the Gospels, ten of them happened in this little town of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Nazareth would be on the land over here, Name where the widow's hills was over here. Tiberias is about midway up right here, and the city of Magdala is down here, and I'm throwing Magdala in because little little Magdalene that, that God's given us today, maybe. So um, so on or around this lake, on this side of the lake is where the maniac of Gadara uh, was, was, where the demons were cast out and they went into the Sea of Galilee. On the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus walked on the water, where the disciples threw their nets over and they caught fish, where uh, all of these things happened all around the Sea of Galilee. We should know this. We should know all about this geography. We should know it more than we know where Dayton and Springfield and Chillicothe and Zanesville are. Don't you think, guys? So we should learn this. Um, and so this is a pretty interesting a pretty interesting place. It seems that John re-records the story so he can tie it in, though, to something that's not included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You see, Jesus preaches a sermon, and you just heard it. Did you guys hear what Jesus is preaching in John 6 later on, you heard Jesus talking a lot about manna and about the bread of life and about the disciples and about predestination and election and all kinds of interesting things. All of this sermon though, you have to cast it in the shadow of what had happened the day before. Uh, They would not have missed that, Jonathan. They would, if he's talking about bread and bread of life and God doing all these things, what would they be thinking about, Andy? What just happened the day before? Thousands and thousands of people were fed bread. Uh, And so these two things apparently were tied together in so much that John wanted to retell the whole story before he gave us the sermon that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not include. So we could see how they tie together. As it happened on that day, the multitudes were following Jesus because of the miracles that he had gathered and uh, he taught them. There may have been a lot of sick in the area uh, because a lot of people had come to this part of Israel because in Tiberias, there are these natural hot springs. And people would travel to Tiberias uh, so they could get healed. And they would go down in these waters and they were therapeutic and they liked them. uh, And so there might have been a lot more sick. Where Jesus and where this event takes place is going to be between Tiberias, which will be right here on the far western side here, and up there is Capernaum where the trim stops. In the middle there, there's a giant plain. And it's a fertile plain where a lot of wonderful things grow, and it's a fertile, beautiful area. Some people call it one of the most beautiful places on earth because it's so fertile and so beautiful. So Jesus gathered together with the disciples and with this multitude on a mountain uh, in this beautiful plain off of the Sea of Galilee. And as they were up there, they could look down and they could see this giant, giant, you know. See, when, when, like when we go over and we see Deer Creek, the little lake, imagine if we had a mountain that was 5,000 feet tall. You could see the entire lake. You would look down and you would see the lake, okay? So when they're on a mountain, they can look down and they can see this eight-mile By 13 mile lake. It looks like a lake to them because they're up on top of this mountain. Can you sort of get a little picture of what's going on here? So the people had been listening to Jesus in Capernaum. Jesus had gotten in a boat. uh, And they knew where he was going. They knew he was going to go on down here a little ways. And so they followed him on the on the side of the lake. So the lake is only 33 miles around is all far the lake is. And so they knew where he was going and they all couldn't get on boats, these thousands of people. So they just walked around the lake. Can you picture this? Can you picture the people walking around the lake, hoping Jesus lands and they can hear him teach and they can interact with him? He uh, so caught up were the people in uh, wanting to be near the miracle maker or to have a miracle for themselves and hearing his teachings that they found themselves without food when they needed it. They were caught up. You know, can you imagine this? I mean, if, if a guy is healing people and raising people from the dead and casting out demons, you don't stop and go, you know, you know, I better pack a lunch. I mean, you're just like, you know, you're just wow. You know, I'm following this guy. And so they did. Um, seeing that it was getting late. Uh, The other three gospel writers tell us that the disciples came to Jesus and and told Jesus, let's send these people away. Uh, It's late and they've got to eat and uh, let's send them away. And Jesus, it says, having compassion on them, seeing they were hungry, like sheep without a shepherd, he told the twelve to feed them. Uh, And these were, he says, you feed them. Uh, now, this is not recorded in John, but it is in it is in the other Gospels. So, let's let's get to our text. Could you imagine that being told? Uh, you have five thousand men. You have women and children. I don't know how many people there were. They called the feeding of the five thousand. But if it's that's only the number of the men, and there are women and children beside, can we say there might have been six thousand? 7,000, who knows how many people that would have come on that day, thousands. Could you imagine uh, your master looking at you and going, yeah, don't send them away, feed them. Jesus wanted to create a situation in their minds that they would look at and they would say, well, that can't be done. This is impossible. So um, we go back to our text. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. The great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles. Now, do not miss this, okay? They followed him, why? Everybody say, because they saw his miracles. (laughs) Now, John includes this because later on, if you remember hearing the sermon, what did he say to them? You remember those people, they all left. And he said, you know why they were following me? He He said, some of them followed me for the miracles, okay, that I did. Others were following me for a whole nother reason. They were following me for the bread. So this crowd was following him for the miracles and they got bread. The next crowd is following him for bread. Okay? So we have two things going on. There is the miraculous. Everybody say the miraculous. Miraculous. And then there's the ordinary. Everybody say the ordinary. Ordinary. Now people feed people all the time. Uh, It's an amazing thing when we travel. We'll be driving and we have 20 some of us in a bus. And they'll pull over to a house that looks like Nothing. And we certainly didn't call ahead or make an internet reservation and we'll get out. And I don't know where the food comes from. I don't exactly understand it, but apparently it's a custom thing there. And these people start breaking out food and they feed us all. And there's, you know, pork and soup and all rice. It's just flying from this house. I I don't even understand it, but it happens. Okay. It's something they do. There's no sign. There's no golden arch. There's nothing. It's just, it's their, uh, their fast food apparently is just food all the time. I'm not, I don't really understand it. But he said that they followed him, John says, because of the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up to a mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now, I want you not to miss this. He was sitting with his disciples. Okay, the multitude came, but he was sitting with his disciples. The Passover, the feast of Jews was nigh. When Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw the great company. He addresses Philip. Now. To say to a group of people do it is one thing, but now he's going to address a single person in the group. Now, we don't know tons and tons about Philip, but he speaks to him, and John reveals to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that a lot of what Jesus was going to do here has to do with Philip. We think of the broader story, we think of the big miracle, but that's not exactly what's going on here. What Jesus was doing for the multitude, the miracle he was about to perform, was not to impress them. It was not to gain more followers. It was for Philip. Everybody say it was for Philip. How do we know that? Everybody say the Bible says so. Isn't it hard to believe that God feeds five, six, seven thousand people and we read about it two thousand years later for one guy, Philip? Isn't that that, that amazing to you, Steve? It's amazing to me. I'm reading. It It says Jesus knew what he was going to do, but it was to prove him. Who? Philip. No doubt all the 12 would benefit from what happened. So I'm sure it was for them as well. But this was, John says this was about Philip. Now, John doesn't explain. Okay. But I think I have a little insight into this it would benefit the 12 it was a wonderful thing he was about to do but philip needed to be changed by 1 degree or more in this action and he would be when you read the story of jesus don't mention don't miss that he is pouring his life into the 12 he doesn't care about these multitude he he has compassion on them but what i'm saying is he's not his concern is with the 12 his teaching is for the 12 The miracles are for the 12. Do you understand this? Jesus was not trying to build a megachurch. He could have been the first and the last ever to have one. He could still have it today. He could be in the pulpit every week. He would have never died, right? No sin. But that wasn't what he came to do. When the multitudes followed him, he often spoke in parables to them. And they asked why. And he said, because I don't want them to understand. This is a very strange thing to say. And he said, and these people that followed, I know they're really not following me. They're coming for a miracle. And later they come for bread. But Jesus was there for Philip. Everybody say, Jesus was there for Philip. You see, the foundation of the kingdom of God on earth, the church, where Jesus Christ would be the chief cornerstone, would be built, the Bible says, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets that these 12 were the foundation of the church. And these could not be men that were just left the way they were when he called them. They had to be changed and they had to be made into what God was going to use them for. And they were going to be foundation, the foundation of the church. These men would, could not be ordinary. They could not be uh, like uh, just everybody. They, they, they had to be right. As I look at our church, And I look at the future of what God is doing here. You know, I am not eager to try to get more and more and more and more people to come here. Yeah, there is something in in our human pride that when people ask you how many people go to your church, you want to say a big number or when they come and they see whatever. But I actually like the idea that, that the scripture says that we need to be careful how we build, that we need to understand that we need to build with good material. And the future of this church will be dependent on who and what it's built on. That's why uh, we're thankful that God has sent the people he has sent here, because I see God working on them and changing them. I mean, Steve, do you know how much different you are from when the day I met you? God's been working on you and changing you and maturing you. And I could go down the list of the people who I would only hardly recognize. You know, Jeff, were you wearing a little earring in your ear when I met you? Probably a couple, you know, not that the earrings the worst thing in the whole wide world, but, but, but he looks a little different now. Okay. Tim, uh, had a a different look, you know, I I likened him into a a sheepdog, you know, he had, he had the long hair, you know, and it was over his face and, and, and he looked through the little slit, you know, and he didn't talk a lot and you go, oh, now that's embarrassing. It's, it, it would be embarrassing if we weren't talking about what God does. And God didn't just give Tim a haircut and teach him how to grow proper facial hair. Uh, that's not what happened. And but, but what God is doing is by degree and through circumstance and by the gentle work of the Holy Spirit, God is sanctifying and preparing us because he's building us into something that will. the Bible says will be a holy habitation of God in the Spirit. That what God is doing in your life, Andy, and and Kirsten and your children, that God is doing something the Bible says that he is preparing us. He's using these things to to fashion us and to change us and to make us fit for heaven and fit for the work that he has called us to do here on earth. Performing miracles uh, was done for the 12. Calming of the storms and casting out demons were for the 12. For what he had called them to do, he used these things to change them. There was something God was doing in Philip that day that we will understand better when we are not looking through a darkened glass of our sinful flesh. Like God knows what we need and what we, uh, before we ever ask him, he knew what Philip needed and he knew what he was going to do that day. In verse seven, it says, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little as i was reading this i was praying i was like lord what on earth was god doing in the life of philip and it took a little bit more reading to get there but philip was naturally disposed to look at how this couldn't be done see what i'm saying He was looking at the situation. He was saying, all right, mathematically, we've got five, six, seven, maybe 10,000 people. And you're telling us to buy bread. And I'm telling you, this can't be done. We don't have enough money to do it. And even if we had money, and he mentioned some amount, if we had even that much money, we could not even get a little tiny bit for all of them. Philip was an analytical guy who looked at this situation and decided it was impossible. Can you think maybe what God is about to do with Philip? You see, this is sometimes what we do. Instead of look at this situation and see the opportunity for God, we look at this situation and we resolve its impossibility before, there, we, before Jesus even does anything. Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them might take a little Perhaps Philip needed to learn that God could provide for all of his needs. Everybody say his needs. It's one thing to believe God for miracles. Here I believe Jesus was teaching Philip that God could and would provide for the ordinary things as well. Do you know Philip would spend his life going from city to city with no money? You remember how he sent him out? How did he send him out, guys? Don't take any money. Don't take extra clothes. Right? Don't, don't even take your Bible notes and prepare yourself what you're going to say. God in the same hour, will, he was, remember in the sending of these 12, he stripped them of all their props, of all of the things they could lean on, and he sent them out. He told them to go, and whoever's there, let them feed you. Here he was, going, he was reminding Philip that God could feed him. God could meet his daily needs. This thought has been going over and over in our minds that oftentimes when it comes to big things or miraculous things or impossible things, we ask God and we pray for them. But when it comes to the ordinary day-to-day life, oftentimes we don't understand that God is in that too. And that every meal that we eat and everything that God provides, something ordinary. He didn't stretch forth the withered hand. He didn't raise someone from the dead. He wasn't walking on water. He just did what any what Olive Garden could do he fed a lot of people and you might go well that that was it, it certainly was miraculous obviously but but what he was doing was ordinary. It could have been done if they would have had enough money. it could have been done if they had enough food right but they didn't. Jesus was teaching Philip God could and would provide ordinary things as well this that his life from this day forward would not be ordinary in any way that God would even come to him in the ordinary, and he would ask him to seek first the kingdom of God. Philip could clearly see that they did not have the money to meet the need, but this needed pointing out. It, is, it took Andrew to point out what most would have seen as absurd. And so God uses Andrew, I believe, to contrast Philip. Because what Andrew does honestly is, if anybody else, if anybody here did something like this, we probably would laugh at them, because Andrew is 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 okay. Hey, let's look at what we got, right? But what they have in comparison to the need is ridiculous. Somebody say it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Like the staff in Moses' hand, God took this orphaned stuttering wanted for murder man an israelite standing at the red sea hearing the cries of the people of god that had sent him to lead they had nowhere to go he didn't know what to do and remember what god says to moses do you guys remember this what does he ask him tim what is in your hand everybody say what is in your hand now it's kind of absurd in a way what's in your hand oh i have this dead piece of wood Oh, okay, that, that'll work. Stretch it out. In the midst of the stress of Pharaoh's army bearing down millions, swarming like so many fish about to be swallowed by the giant whale of Egypt. Remember the question that he said. He said, what is in your hand? God used a piece of wood in the hand of Moses to part the Red Sea. Did, did, did he really need that? Apparently, God was showing us something there. Jason, if you had 5,000 men besides women and children, a veritable host of people to feed, would you even consider that you had some sardines and crackers in your car? I don't think you probably would. You wouldn't go, hey, you know, now, Bonita might. She may open up her trunk and she might, you know, <laughs> who knows what she might have in there. For those that don't know, Benita is like the guy on Fat Albert who always has the thing in the hat, you know. What do you need? I need, oh, you know, I need a I need a lamp, you know, and a whole lamp comes out of the guy's hat, you know. If you need anything, Benita's trunk is where it is. Okay? Uh, there may be a ham. We may run out of food one day at church, and we'll go out there and there'll be a, a smoked ham out there in the back. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Oftentimes we are like Philip, we can only see what we don't have. We don't have enough money to buy enough bread. But when we respond like Andrew or like Moses with honesty or childlike understanding of God, wonderful things happen. That's what the Bible stories are filled of. Wonderful things happening when people are either too stupid or they have enough faith or they're childlike enough to go, I got some some crackers and sardines. Jonathan and his armor bearer remind us that God can save as easily by few or by many. And today the story of the feeding of the 5,000 can remind us that when we offer what we have, like the widow who offered her might, God can use little things mightily, and He does. When we look at our lives like Philip, only seeing what we don't have, we may miss out on being part of what Andrew, David, and the list of widows that God provided for through the prophets. Moses and so many more have learned about the kingdom of God. Smallness of seeds, smallness of gifts, smallness of stature have never stood in the way of God's miraculous power, but often, more often not have preceded it. Oh, all there is is this one little guy. He's willing to fight Goliath. Well, the armor really won't fit him, but oh, he does have this little sling. Can you imagine how funny that was? Oh, okay. He's got a little rock. I see. There's a there's a nine foot giant. Okay. Our lack, our smallness, our neediness, but willingness to trust God to what we have will always end up being a great story of God's faithfulness. It always has in my life. What do you have? What's in your hand? One of the disciples, it says in verse 8, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. I think this is funny. He's not just Andrew. He's Peter's brother. So it's kind of like, you know what I mean? That's a real unimportant way of, of referring to. He's one of the 12. Can't he just be Andrew? Oh, no, well, he's, he's Peter's brother, you know. Oh, Okay. He says, there is a lad here. He has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? He even saw the absurdity of it. It's not that we have to be too stupid to notice the absurdity of things. But God doesn't call us to look at our situation and see how it cannot work out. Now, to make the point even sharper, the lunch the lad offered was not only absurd to feed so many. It was meager even for the little boy. Let's look at the three things in verse 8. Who brought the bread? What kind of bread was it? What kind of fish was it? How big was the fish? Let's start off with who brought the lunch. Everybody say, a nameless boy. So God brings the provisions to the situation that were multiplied to feed the thousands through a person who they don't even give his name. And they refer to him as a lad. A lad can be a boy, or it can be an extraordinarily unimportant person, like a servant. It really means, in the, in the language, it could be anyone of little to no significance. We don't even know if it was a boy, or he was just a lowlife. Isn't that kind of funny? I looked it up, they're like, they're pretty sure he was a little boy, but he could have been something else. He just had no significance whatsoever. Not so much even to mention his name. I'm like, I'm like oh, I think I'm on to something here. Next, I thought, well, let's look into what kind of bread that it was. And it was barley. Now, I'm not an expert. I, you know, I don't work at a bakery. I haven't baked any bread. I, I do like to eat bread. Uh, and, and I have been at places where they ask you what kinds of bread, but I, I always have my wife tell them because I don't even know what I like. Honey, tell them what I want. And she tells him, I know I'm completely spoiled. It's just the way it is. Thank you, sweetheart. So when I read about barley loaves, I'm like, you know, well, God's just giving us a detail guys. God does not give us detail. Like what kind of bread it was for no reason. If you're studying the scriptures and you're reading it and the Bible tells you it was barley, you might want to look into that. Okay. God didn't say they, they, Uh, that, you know, God doesn't mention the lad. God doesn't mention the loaves. And we'll see later, he doesn't tell us what, he doesn't give an adjective to the fish for no reason, right? If he had said, if he had named a certain kind of fish, I'd have been studying on that fish. So I did a little study on barley. Do you know that barley then, and, and even pretty much now, is one third the price of wheat? That... The renowned Jewish historian Flavius Josephus helps us here when he says this uh, in his account of another story that men can hardly eat barley for its coarseness. It is the food of the very poor. It is usually unleavened. And they said that animals even have a hard time chewing it up. Okay. How many want to order your sub today from DeBella's on barley? I don't really want to. Among the Greeks, barley bread, quote, If you said barley bread, it was a proverb. Like, so if you were eating a piece of meat and it was so tough you couldn't chew, you might go, man, this is like barley bread. You know how we might say it's like eating a tire or something like that, you know? It was a proverb. If you hear it in the Greeks, they used it as a saying. In the story of Gideon and the Midianites, Eliot's commentary for English readers points us to another possible connection to the use of barley bread and how God uses poor small, powerless things to defeat his enemies. Do you guys remember that God was speaking to Gideon and he was going to go fight the Midianites? you guys remember the story? And so God has, you know, all these people come and there's thousands and God whittles them down to this little small band, right? You guys know the story? So, so God then sends Gideon down to the camp of the Midianites to go kind of spy him out. And he goes down there and as he's listening, I don't know, he's behind a tree or a rock or whatever. He's listening in and one of the guys says to the other, he's like, I had a dream last night. And I had a dream that all of a sudden this big giant barley rolls comes rolling down the hill. Do you guys remember this? And it rolls over the tents of the Midianites and flattens them out. And the guy goes, Oh, I know what that means. And the guy goes, What? He goes, That is the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and he is going to flatten us, and God is going to bring victory to the Midianites. What kind of role was it? Everybody say it was a... You see, the Midianites used to make fun of... The Israelites, and you know what they called them, honey? They called them barley eaters. Because the Midianites would come in and they would steal all of their wheat. They didn't even bother with the barley. They would steal their wheat and they would steal their livestock. And they made fun of them and they made fun of their poverty and of their weakness and of their patheticness by calling Gideon the barley eater. Um, According to uh, the commentary that I read, the Midianites were accustomed to call Gideon... And his band, Eater of Barley Bread, to ridicule him for his poverty. Uh, So, do you see a little pattern developing? We got a little nameless boy. We got bread that animals basically eat in the super poor. And finally, the fish. Were they very big fish? Were these, you know, was this a, a world record bass? It says they were small fishes. Now, when I looked that up, I actually thought. I thought it was really odd, but do you know they might not have even been fish. That really it's basically means anything you would eat with a cracker. Some insignificant food of some kind, but literally it would be the fish would not actually be fish. Like it would not be something you would want to catch on a pole. Now you guys, you know, you know when you eat fish, you go to a restaurant and they'll, you know, make you a nice fish, okay? In Myanmar and some of these places what they do is they have these nets with really, really small holes. And when they farm their rice, the little things grow in the in the water and they're so hungry and they need protein so bad that they get every little minnow and every little fish out of it and they get it all and you'll see these baskets of these dried fish. They're not dried fish, they're dried little fish. They're like little, little sardines. That's the kind of thing this probably was. It wasn't like a fish, you know. Uh, he, he had, you know, a few big bass, you know, and he's got a big rolls of bread. This would have been really comical is what this would have been. Now, we don't know <clears throat> uh, everything about this, but the more we learn about it, the little fish, the barley loaves, the nameless little lad... We don't know if Andrew saw what the boy had or the boy even offered it himself. It doesn't tell us in the story. But we know that they talked about, and we're still talking about, this story. Verse 10, Jesus said, make the men sit down. There's much grass in the place. So the men sat down. And there were 5,000. Now, let me stop for just a minute and comment on one thing that... The 5,000 might bring to mind. We later learned that these were not followers of Christ in the truest sense, but they were following him. Would be to God that we are his elect people, though, would follow him like they did in one respect. And you might say, What do you mean? What would it be like if we followed after the words of God and the works of God without regard to our physical needs? We're all so well provided for. We can hardly gather if we're, if lunch isn't going to be exactly at a certain time. Or Calvin actually pointed this out. I'm I'm reading Calvin, and Calvin is saying he's talking about the people in the 15th century. You know, and and he's saying they can hardly go hours without eating. But yet these people who weren't really even believers in the truest sense, they lost themselves following Christ. And he goes, we can't hardly. Do that and we are His people. Oh, that God would have us to hunger and thirst after righteousness so that we could be filled with food from heaven. May God feed us the bread of life that we may live. Verse 11, Jesus takes the loaves and when He had given thanks, He distributed the bread and the disciples. And it's an amazing thing. He gives it, He does it, but then He gives it to the disciples. He was teaching the disciples What were they going to be doing, guys? Jesus was going to leave one day and they were going to have to feed the people. They were going to be the shepherds of Israel. And so he gives the food to the disciples and they pass it out. Notice here, Jesus does not ask God to multiply the food. He gives thanks. Everybody say, he gives thanks. thanks. Now, you know, growing up, I, I I was taught and I am opposed to religious behavior uh and when i say that i mean things that we do to seem religious things that we do to seem spiritual but that are not really necessarily that important and one thing i've seen people rail on is praying for food i've even somewhat dismissed it in a sense of yes you know that might be a real religious thing to do but you know as i read the story this time and then I looked into it more. You know, Jesus didn't just do this once. He did this repeatedly. Before he ate, they literally show what he did. He prayed. And he, and he wasn't asking God to multiply it. He was just being thankful for it. I really think that when we pray for our food with our families or at restaurants or wherever we are, I think really taking the opportunity to pray and to give thanks for the daily bread that God gives us, I really think it... I think it's a, it's a part of true piety that we should observe. Anyway, that's I'm just throwing this out here. I kind of have a renewed friar for praying for my food, honey. So, it was Christ's practice and I think it should be ours. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Everybody say that nothing be lost. I've heard people talk about this before and i heard a a good sermon on not wasting and i i'm I'm a big believer if you want if you want to see me get worked up you'll see that when all the kids break things and we waste food and we don't save it and put in the refrigerator but the leftovers get left out or thrown away i that bothers me i don't think that this is what this is about though okay although i'd love to preach a sermon on how wasteful my kids are and how you need to straighten up and save stuff and quit making dad spend all his money i don't really think that's what the sermon was about although this could be used as an example. This was amazing. They started off with crackers and sardines. They started off with something small. There are 12 baskets left over. Do, does God arbitrarily have numbers included in things? Does he arbitrarily do anything? 12 baskets are left over. This is amazing. I'm going to talk to you more about those 12 baskets next time. But I will say this, God not only gives us what we need, but he gives us more than we need. Everybody say, God gives us more than we need. I'll sum up by just saying these few things. The multitude followed Jesus for his miracles and healing, but the next multitude would follow him for bread. His miracle was for Philip and the twelve. Philip saw what he did not have, but God was changing him into a man instead of seeing what he didn't have would be a man who would look at what he has and realize God takes small things and he does great things with those small things just like he would do with them. They were 12 small, unimportant people and God would use them to do something mighty. Andrew saw what they had and didn't feel too silly to point it out. God used a small lunch to do a great thing. God would use a small band of 12 to change the world. God will use all of our smallness to do his great will on earth as his kingdom comes. And his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Next time we talk about this, we'll talk more about the 12 baskets. And think about who God sent out. He sent out, the, everybody say, the 12 Who were these miracles for? They were for the? What do you think these 12 baskets might be talking about? He said that none would be lost. You heard the sermon that he preached at Capernaum. And he talked about those that God has given will not be lost. Those that God saves will be saved. Those that God chooses will stay chosen. Those that eat this bread will not live forever if they if they do right and and, and earn it. No, those those that eat the bread of life live forever. Those that eat the flesh will live forever. God is teaching us about what will not be lost in his time and what will not be lost in ours. We'll talk about that more when we get together next time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping me to get through this message today. Lord, I know that the weakness of my voice may even sharpen the point of what is being said. I was feeling and thinking maybe I couldn't even get the words out today. Lord, I was reminded that my voice could be lost any day and that the voice that you have given this church for hearing your word could be gone tomorrow. My voice could go and never come back. Lord, my heart was turned to the First Baptist Church down in Texas that 12 of their young people were killed in a tragic accident, the mourning and the pain which they suffered right now. I was reminded, Lord, of how weak we are, how uncertain our futures are, how that we are like the grass, which... Rises one day and then is burned by the heat of the sun. But Lord, in all these things, you love us, you provide for us, you cherish us, oh God. But our hope is not in this world, but is in that which is to come. And Lord, we trust you for our tomorrows and for the certainty that tomorrow you will be God, that tomorrow. Your kingdom will continue to come no matter what happens to us. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity. To listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.